if you've been in the business, you know that every ERP vendor quotes a different amount to implement a competitive software. How is it how is it possible that all these companies quote different amounts when truly it requires the same amount of effort to implement no matter what system you're talking about? And and the, not only that, uh, implementing the software or training someone on the software is just the tip of the iceberg. The real difficulty, the real challenges are. Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing. This approach needs alignment among people, processes, and technologies. So if you're a business owner, operations, or finance leader looking to learn growth strategies from your peers and competitors, you're tuned into the right podcast. Welcome to the WBS Podcast, where scalable growth using business systems is our number one priority. Now... Here is your host, Sam Gupta. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the WBS Podcast. I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at digital transformation consulting firm Elevate IQ. First time ERP buyers and salespeople without any implementation experience consider implementations as plug and play. But while you might be using someone else's product, you first need to understand the product at a deeper level. And this learning might take the same amount of time as creating your ERP from scratch. So although off-the-shelf products reduce the implementation risks, they still require substantial time to go through the necessary phases of software development to avoid issues in the life system. In today's episode, we invited a panel of cross-functional experts for a live interview on LinkedIn who brings significant expertise to discuss how to manage the digital budget. We covered many grounds in this episode, including the difference between budget risks for custom development and ERP projects. We also discussed the secret sauce for making digital projects successful and strategies to mitigate risks with vendors. Finally, we discussed how to vet the vendors that are being realistic with their estimates from the ones that may be low-balling to get a foot in the door. With that, let's get to the conversation. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's show. And today we have very exciting topic that is going to drive a lot of discussion just because of the nature of the topic. And today we are going to be talking about managing digital budgets for any of the digital transformation initiatives or the ERP initiatives. Now, we will start with the intros. Chris, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Thanks, Sam. Good afternoon, everybody. I'm Chris Garadini. I'm the president and owner of Turnkey Technologies. Turnkey is a 27-plus-year uh, Microsoft Dynamics ERP implementation partner. So we're very versed in budgets and quotes and estimates and change controls. So look forward to the conversation. Okay, Chris, and you were super pumped for this conversation because you have a fresh story that we can discuss, and I'm going to be so excited to dig into that. Thank you so much for being here. Tom, would you like to introduce yourself, Max, if you don't mind? Sure, don't mind at all, Sam. Uh, glad to be here and uh, hi to the rest of the crew on the panel. Uh, my name is Tom Rodden. I am the CIO of Barry Medical Systems. Uh, that's a radiation therapy company treating cancer. And um, we uh, have been doing a lot of transformational projects over the, the past few years. PLM, Project Lifecycle Management, MES, uh, Manufacturing Shop Floor, uh, HR, uh, going on to Workday, sales and service, uh, re-engineering the whole end-to-end uh, -end business processes there. So a lot of uh, ERP and satellite systems around the ERP where we've uh, been doing transformation for, for some time. Happy to talk about it with you today and, and the budgets related to all of that. Okay, amazing. And you have been doing this for a very long time, Tom. I assume that you are going to be open to share your formula for success 
Uh, I don't know if you have figured out how to make the digital transformation project successful. Obviously, they are very tricky. Yes, formulas for success and lessons learned from failure. Right. Exactly. Exactly. That is going to be so exciting. All right. Uh, so, Andy, would you like to introduce yourself next? Hi, my name is Andy Pratico. I'm with uh, 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 an Infor reseller and implementer in Vancouver, Canada called Essential Software. I've been working with uh, manufacturing companies for about 40 years, TRP solutions, and I've worked all over North, North America. And, uh, you know, I've got a fairly good uh, insight regarding budgets, regarding purchasing and implementing these types of systems. Yeah, and we have had a lot of conversations overall, Andy, that, you know, budget is going to be subject to also selection process and the kind of tool you are selecting. These things are interconnected, in my opinion. So I think it's going to be super exciting to dig into that. Thank you so much for being here. Tim, would you like to introduce yourself next? Sure. Thanks for having me on, Sam. And uh, hi to everyone else here on the panel. Uh, Tim Harrison, I've got uh, close to 20 years of experience in uh, engineering, uh, specifically more on the automation side, as well as sales of industrial automated uh, equipment and software. So yeah, looking to bring some uh, colorful commentary for you, Sam. Okay, amazing. And it's going to be super exciting to dig into your background as well, because you have seen a lot, Tim. So thank you so much for being here. Okay, Ashish, joining for the first time, would you like to introduce yourself next? Sure, I will. Hey, guys, good uh, good afternoon. Uh, my name is Ashish Parlegar. I'm a senior director with uh, Constellation Brand, although I'm, I'm in transition now. I'm, I'll be announcing my new company soon, but I bring uh, plus 20 plus years of consulting experience in Deloitte and IBM. So I've seen a lot of different clients go through different stages of uh, ERP implementation. And, uh, you know, it looks like we're going to have a good conversation today. Yeah, it's going to be super exciting to dig into your background as well, because the nature of industries that you have worked in, they have yeah. their own nuances in going over budget. So it's going to be so exciting to dig into those stories. Thank you so much for Thank being you. here, Ashish. Okay, so we are going to dig right into the topic. So how I am going to start is setting the foundation. That's what we typically do in these conversations. And we are going to set the foundation in defining the difference between managing an ERP project versus managing a digital project. There are nuances. Typically, if I talk to my small to medium-sized businesses, customers, they typically feel that I am buying a product from Home Depot. I should be able to uh, you know, pick it from Home Depot, flip the power switch on, and then it's going to work magically. Okay. There is also notion in the market that ERP projects can be implemented within 15 days. There are vendors who are really competing for how fast they can implement. You all are very experienced people on the panel. You understand the software development process as well as even if you are buying a product that is going to have the flavor and the element of the software development that requires your you know, testing, your user training, you know, all of the things that you need to make sure that the team is going to be comfortable before the project goes live. So what I want you guys to touch on is the real difference between a traditional digital project versus the ERP project if one is going to require more effort than the other. So I am actually going to start with you, Chris. Chris, do you want to set the tone for the episode? Sure. So again, I, I write implementation plans all the time for projects. And I think as you make that comment, I think about differences in you know digital transformation purely or ERP and methodology, meaning agile versus waterfall, even to that degree. I don't know if that's the, the right segue here, but I think it, it can it can determine a different type of progression into those types of projects. I don't know if that's the, the, the angle that you want. I had a little internet blip there while you guys were talking, but uh, am I on the right track for you there, Sam, in terms of that perspective? Well, so when you look at the, the amount of effort required to deliver any project, it doesn't matter which method you are choosing to implement. The effort is an effort. Sure, you know, people can argue that Agile is going to, you know, reduce your rest. I get it. Uh, but the amount of effort is that is required, let's say, to make sure that your ERP is going to be configured right. It's going to be tested. The users are going to be. Clean. I would agree. I could. I could. So as you as we get back into that, right? You know, after you complete that detailed analysis, there's a design 
process that organizations go through. There's a development process and then there's an operation process. And I think if you think about the, the different aspects of the methodology and what happens in each of these phases, um, it, it prepares them for success. But in the end, the amount of scope that we're defining on the front of the project is going to shrink or grow these different phases of, of ERP implementation. But again, analysis, design, development, operation, those are the key large four phases that we see in our methodology. But again, a big part of those as we go through phases is conference room pilots, and you think about what happens the first time they see the software, scope change. So as we talk about budget, where we start, where we end up, even after analysis phase, we could see a lot of movement there because of the due diligence that starts occurring in these phases that's not normally in the pre-sales part of the project. Does that make sense? It does. It does. Thank you so much for that insight. So now I am actually going to move to Tom. And Tom, you have done a lot of custom development projects. And one of the comments that I always get from my customers is, I am buying an ERP product. You are not necessarily coding. You are simply implementing somebody else's product. So why do you require so much time, right? So this is always a very hard argument to convince our customers. Now, let's say if I ask you, you have done both. You have done custom development. You have done ERP. Both of these projects are going to have its own nuances. I don't know which one is going to require more effort, less effort. What are your thoughts in the custom development project versus the, the ERP project uh, in terms of efforts? Oh, first, I have chiefly implemented packages. Uh, the degree of custom projects has been relatively limited, but that's in part, in large part, because I think it is easier, uh, generally speaking. If you're doing something that is fairly large in scope, as Chris was talking about scope there, the idea of developing that from scratch yourself is not only daunting, but I think very dangerous. You know, there are companies out there that have invested many, many years in understanding the integrations between the financial ledger and all the transactions and the various types of sales orders that can be processed and uh, questions about recognition of revenue and timing how to process service orders, how to do uh, maintenance orders on your manufacturing equipment, et cetera, et cetera, and how all of these things connect back to uh, each other and to the general ledger and ultimately your financials. So I tend to think that unless you have some tremendous reason why you need to do it uh, yourself, that you think this is going to deliver some tremendous competitive advantage because you'll have it so customized and so fine-tuned to your needs, or it's a relatively small scope, simple thing that there's nothing really on the market that's either applicable or affordable. I, I tend to steer people away as a consultant in my time as a consultant, and certainly in my time as uh, the CIO at Varian, uh, steer people away from the, the custom code as much as possible. Once, once you decide that a package is probably the right way to go, if you decide that, I mean, there's still a lot of challenges in controlling scope, in controlling complexity, in controlling timeline. And there are a lot of decisions you have the power to make, yeah. um, but you'll need the power to enforce those decisions as well. You know, if you choose to have a relatively narrow scope, scope creep is always a huge challenge. Um, and having a process to escalate and and resolve those scope creep issues is, is critical um, to do it relatively quickly and with some good rationale. And, and, and uh, you, know, you don't lose the support of all your stakeholders in the process of managing your scope. But the complexity and the timeline are things that I think are sometimes forgotten uh, a little bit, at least, when uh, people are talking about the challenge of managing the digital budget and and managing the scope. That's critical, of course, but the complexity, how many interfaces to other systems are you going to develop? Uh, to what degree are you going to implement the package vanilla, as people sometimes say, or are you going to introduce all kinds of enhancements and custom code within the package? How many complex reports uh, and, and dashboards and other types of reporting are you going to ask for at the point of go live or in the in the lifespan of this project or program. So those are all aspects to me of complexity uh, that you again have some ability to manage and therefore manage and contain or control your digital budget. 
And I'd say the last thing to me that has been more important than than uh, most of my my colleagues at Marion tend to think about is is timeline and 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 uh, Chris used the term methodology and it's not exactly methodology what I'm referring to here but there are ways to go live uh, for example just just one aspect uh, you know ways to go live you're going to go big bang are you going to do some kind of functional rollout are you going to do some kind of geographical rollout and how you do that affects a lot of things how long the, the whole thing takes for one and if you have consultants how long they're on the on the job and being paid it also affects uh, the complexity of your cutover you know you had one system up and running and now you are going to have two systems because you chose not to go big bang you thought i'll avoid that risk i'll do it in stages and now i've got to run the old system for certain geographies or for certain functions alongside the new system and they need to ultimately probably add up from at least the financial ledger point of view uh, as if it were a single system for reporting purposes, right? So you you introduce those complexities uh, when you try to reduce the risk uh, of the rollout, just as an example here. So I think scope, complexity, timeline, or, or method of, of uh, managing the program, those are all critical factors that you can influence or, or manage and uh, and manage that digital budget. Yeah, some great points, and I am actually going to have some clarifying questions, but before that, I want to touch on some of the points that were super critical. One of the things that a lot of people don't consider is going to be the type of sales order and the type of document. I think that's super critical, and that is not even part of the ERP selection RFP checklist at times, and that typically bothers me because I have been part of you know, many large implementations and the whole implementation failed just because of one invoice. Can you believe this? Just because of one customer, because that was just complete outlier. I mean, the invoice was so, so thick that it used to choke the entire system. So in my mind, when I look at the, the success and the failure of the ERP implementation, for me, the structure of the sales order is the most critical point all the time. And that is probably going to drive a lot of different points for from the budget perspective. So thank you so much for bringing that point. The other point that you mentioned is Big Bang versus the phased approach. I think in certain scenarios, Big Bang is going to be appropriate. In the other ones, the phased is going to be appropriate. So Tom, the clarifying question I'm going to have for you is, do you have specific scenarios in which you are going to recommend Big Bang versus phased? Well, the, the consulting answer is, of course, it depends, right? Yeah. Every, every scenario is probably different enough that it's pretty risky to put out general principles. But I would say that um, if you are doing something that is very new, very innovative, yeah. and, and risky in terms of the, the, the design that you're expecting, and again, Chris mentioned this, you know, things like you go into testing and you have rework well. Oftentimes yep. you go live and you have a rework too, right? So if you're doing something that is kind of cutting edge, at least for your business, I, I tend to recommend more of a phased rollout. And in fact, phasing it again, if you're, if you're able to do it by geography, by market, by country, whatever, as an example, you can uh, roll it out perhaps in your smallest market first. That's something that Marion did. We actually did some of our rollouts, for example, in, in, in Australia and, and, and Southeast Asia, uh, where our presence wasn't as strong, our customers uh, weren't as many, um, and the, uh, the complexity for the ordering process wasn't as great as, as in the US, for example, or in Europe, where customers were far more demanding on terms and conditions, um, and the, the orders were more complex as a result. Um, and so we, we started in a lower risk area where um, we could adapt the solution without upsetting uh, the local customer base and our employees uh, too much um, if we needed to, and then take that to the more challenging regions when we, we thought it was really solid. Um, so that's, that's one example. If you're doing something that's fairly straightforward um, and, and you think you're, you're pretty confident, you've had tremendous success during the testing phase, you know, perhaps that could be more appropriate for uh, Big Bang. Again, there are a lot of different reasons. Those are just a couple of thoughts. 
Okay, uh, Chris, you had a comment. Please yeah, the, typically when we're scoping new projects, the, the nature of how interconnected they are can dictate whether it has to all be changed out at one time. Yeah. Because if, if we have a, a group of components that are fully integrated, typically you think they're together. Sometimes people mm -hmm. say, oh, I want to do fixed assets, but it sits out here in a standalone system. Guess what that yeah. means? It's optional in phase one. So that's a rationalization. And again, if you, if you do part of this connected piece, you have to build intermediate integrations, right? So that mm -hmm. people, they used to do this. Now we lost functionality. Most people don't want to lose functionality even in a phase rollout. And again, in the enterprise concept, Tom, you're right. Rollout is a typical strategy. You don't try to bring 30 locations up at once normally. But uh, anyway, just a few more comments. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and Sam, so I just wanted to add that yeah. if, um, if, if you are rolling out in, in Big Bang, there's value in do, if it is a it's like a central finance or something which you need to bank you do a big bang at one shot but if you distribute it it's more expensive keeping resources around and it it the risk is low right i mean the risk is low and uh, and and it is not very uh, i mean it's expensive if you do it in phases that's that's when you typically think about doing a big bang but phase approach is more popular than the big bang is what i've seen in the market because everybody wants to mitigate the risk, right? I mean, if they want to do a controlled release, see how, how the solution plans out, and then you expand. And, and many times, if it's a US-based company, North American, you want to do the, the pilot first and then bring to the, the other regions where the, where the cost drivers are low, right? I mean, you, you know, the profitability is low on the other. So you don't want to do big bang at, at that point of time, but you do a phase rollout. So I, I'm just kind of contrasting to you know, where I've rarely seen big banks nowadays. I mean, we have we always seen because of, because the scope of the digital transformations are so large and the complexity and the risk is so high that everybody wants to take a very calculated and things change dynamically. Right. So that gives you that that gives you that, uh, you know, uh, opportunity to improvise if you do it in a, in a phased approach. Right. So, yeah. So great discussion, guys. And we want to continue on this, but Ashish, since you already spoke, and I want to make sure that you are able to touch on the initial point, digital versus uh, the ERP, which is going to be buy versus build argument as well, but which yeah. is more difficult, which is less difficult. If people don't know why ERP implementations are as difficult as your custom development projects, just because you know it's going to require similar amount of effort in configuration, in implementation, and training, sometimes people have trouble understanding that. So in your experience, let's say if you were to evaluate two projects, one is going to be slightly more custom and the second is going to be ERP, which one, uh, you know, put your, you would put your money on? I think yeah. Tom is putting more on the ERP side of things, which is probably wise in my, my, my experience. What is your experience? Sure. And since I was a consultant, I'll say it depends. Because where you're coming from, right? I mean, if if your if your business is software build, yeah. right? If you're a if a high tech software build company, it makes more sense to build it because you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna have more versions of it. It's your revenue driver, right? Yeah. And you, you want to have a differentiator, and you want to make make sure that that's it's unique and it's not easily copied, right? But if you're not in that business, but you are, IT is a driver, but your core business is, you know, in, in, in industry, then unless there's a compelling reason to build it from scratch, right? I mean, why would you have that uh, cost of ownership? That's A first. And, and then also uh, it is expensive to, to build it versus buy. And, and all your processes are not poor. If your core processes had to be customized, I would go with a hybrid with a COTS, right? Uh, commercially of the shelf product, which meets 50 to 60% of your need. Yeah. And then from there onwards, you customize it and, and tune it, bespoke it the way you need it so that your business can be run, right? I mean, that could be a more logical step to do. And you're balancing it and putting the onus on the vendor also to upgrade the soft software, bring in more industry insights into it. And because you're not an IT shop, you're not gonna own, you. every company is becoming digital and, and I, uh, you know, a, a technology company. But that's the ownership you don't want to. You want to focus more on business growth, getting closer to the customer. That's where your your focus should be, and you leave the onus of you know the software build and all to the vendor, right? I mean, in that, but you have that right level of partnership where they have the enough skin in the game so that they uh, the product develops with your inputs, right? So, so, so a lot of people are doing co partnership with the vendors, like Microsoft and Mars is doing things like building things together, right? So we I would lean on that versus uh, going on building the software from the from the scratch.
yeah, some great points. So I think we have overall, I think we have agreement that, you know, unless there is a reason, and in your case, you, you are absolutely right, that you, if you are a, you know, product shop, uh, if your product is the digital product, then it makes sense to build it from scratch. But I mean, if you are using it for your business, then it's better that you are probably going to use somebody else's product because that is less risky. Thank you so much for that. So Andy, I'm going to move to you next. Uh, what are your thoughts so far? Do you agree with everything that has been said? Any disagreement? Anything to add? Well, I agree with everything everybody's saying. I think that there might be a little bit more emphasis on certain topics that people should be concerned about. Um, you know, the whole topic today is uh, digital trans- transformation and appropriately budgeting. Yet, in fact, and, and you, one of the one of the topics you mentioned, uh, as opposed to e- digital transformation, was an ERP implementation, Sam. Yeah. And they say statistically, forty percent of all ERP, ERP implementations ends up costing double the original budget or more. And you know, if you think about that statistic, and if you were aware that you were going to spend twice your budget at the beginning, maybe you'd buy a different system. So how how do we know if it's going to cost us, if we're going to be on budget or if it's going to cost us more than we planned? Uh, it, it, that's a challenging situation also. I mean, if you've been in the business, you know that every ERP vendor quotes a different amount to implement a competitive software. Yeah. How is it how is it possible that all these companies quote different amounts when truly it requires the same amount of effort to implement no matter what system you're talking about? And and the, not only that, uh, implementing the software or training someone on the software is just the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. The real difficult or the real challenges are um, change management because everybody hates change. Yep. So you got to spend a lot of effort walking your staff one step at a time across that bridge. Because if you just say, here's the other side, pal, they're going to freak out and, and tilt. Um, you know, we talked, there was comment about off the shelf versus custom. And uh, there's a chapter in my book on that exact topic, actually. And the first thing I always tell people is that if you can find what you need off the shelf, and, you know, uh, uh, I think Amish or the fellow on the right said a 50% or 60% match. I say an 80% match. But if you can find something off the shelf with about a 70 to 80% match, yep. buy it. Right? Why would you want to customize it? Yep. If, you think, if you think about the cost of, I mean, there's lots of software development companies, not the ones that are on this panel today. But there's lots of them that will lowball what it's going to cost to do the custom development. And so guess what? You think it's going to be this and it ends up being that. And of course, once they've got the hook in and they keep on upselling you without a scope functionality, it goes on forever. And the fact is the custom development company, no disrespect, but the custom development company is only going to write their interpretation of what the client told them they wanted it to do. And guess what? The client is never in as much detail to have a complete system defined initially and there then again you're out of scope and you end up spending more because i thought it was going to have a left-handed monkey wrench and you only put a right-handed one in there yeah some great points andy so tim i actually uh, am going to move to you next what are your thoughts so far do you agree with everything do you disagree what do you think well there um one thought came to mind you know talking about buy versus build and that's really in my experience there are four key areas when a company is looking at you know building an ERP or buying an ERP. It's the the four areas that they look at, or I think are major factors, are you know the talent pool. You know what kind of talent do they have in house to code and develop the the, the system themselves? Um, how much cash do they have on hand? Is it an open checkbook scenario? What kind of processes are they running? So are they facilities that you know operate like other facilities? So you know medical device that you know they make knees and. There's other companies that make needs, so they have similar processes that ERP systems can uh, uh, accommodate. And then also, um, how much growth are they experiencing? And the, you know, in my experience, there's, you know, there's a company that builds rockets, and they're pretty well known. Uh, they don't have an off-the-shelf ERP system. They built their own. Um, they give it a cool little name, but what they what they realized was that they have the talent in-house. They're hiring a lot of young engineers. 
with a lot of coding um, capabilities. They have basically an open checkbook. Their processes are so unique and so proprietary that you know to bring in an ERP system would just it wouldn't be worth it. And then they're also experiencing so much growth. And what they what I've learned from them is that they'll actually they'll bring in some software and they'll pay a fortune you know to bring this software in to understand how it works and then they'll build it out themselves. And this in the short term might seem like oh wow they're spending a lot of money on this, but really that's how they're getting the you know the wisdom from all these other companies and other software packages as by getting it, playing with it, and then incorporating it into their own system that, that they now have full control over. And so, yeah, that's, in my experience, it's, you know, really those four key variables determine, you know, whether or not somebody's going to buy something off the shelf or not. So if you don't have talent, you don't have a lot of cash, you have very similar processes and you have almost no growth, well, you can get something right off the shelf to accommodate your, you know, your needs. Okay, amazing insights there. And I agree with all the points uh, that you mentioned, Tim. So thank you so much for that. Now I am going to move to Press. And uh, Press, you know me, I am actually trying to act the business owner here. And I am always looking for formula. And your goal is going to be to play a consultant. And your answer always is going to be, it depends. So now I am again looking for a formula here in terms of uh, you know creating some sort of estimate. Let's say if I am working with a vendor and they, I am working with, let's say, three or four different vendors. One vendor says that, you know what, I can implement ELP in 15 days. The second vendor says that, you know what, I will take four months. Okay. The next vendor says that, you know what, I will take six months because that is probably slightly more realistic. Since you are implementing this for the first time or going through the digital transformation journey for the first time, you need to figure out who is being realistic who is providing the real estimates so that you don't end up being in that 5x situations. So one of the um, you know approach that most business owners are going to take, you know what, I'll go with the cheapest. Okay, even if it is going to be 5x, I mean, this guy is probably quoting for 15 days. Uh, even if it is going to be 5x, it is probably going to be lower than my six months guy. <laughs> so in your case, let's say if I were to ask you, okay, what is the formula? to create the implementation plan and to figure out the budget for an ERP implementation? How would you approach this? Sure. I mean, and I've got a pretty complex estimating model that I use. And, you know, the 15-day one, it's okay, what's included? And I think it's all back to the doubles and the details. We talk about scope. I start by rationalizing what's the scope of the project that helps define the analysis phase. You know, and at the end of that phase, do we do we find gaps, right? We don't build everything. We build gaps. But first we argue, do we need those gaps? Right. Oh, I really need this. Is that a would be nice or it's a needed. But again, as you go through that, that scope helps rationalize the budget. But then you have certain amount of effort for all that scope to do workshops, right, to do conference through pilots. And so there's there's a factor. There's a matrix there. And it's it's scope and it's entities. Right. Or it's location. So there are a couple dimensions there that help extend that. But but that's a formula based estimating. And I think one of the comments about time is people's natural ability to absorb the subject matter. 15 days, that's like I can empty a dump truck on your driveway, but you got a little shovel, Sam, and you're working for months, even though dumped it in five seconds. So the vendor can unload knowledge quickly. The assimilation within the human population it just takes time. So there is a factor there. So so the 15 days, like I said, can people set everything aside, 100% focus and learn in that period of time? I said, that's where the skepticism comes in. The other way you validate these different proposals, you got to talk to their customers. You got to find out, did it work? And so you've got to go do your due diligence. You know, And again, I'm not going to say that it's not take the 15-day approach. Do you buy five of those versus the big bang? Again, I, I think it really depends on am I a self-service where I want to try and do a lot of that or I really want the valet service. And there are going to be different grades of implementation. I'm going to say that right now. You are going to have the small, medium, large. And for the self-service companies that want to do a lot of it, okay, does it take them longer? Do they really measure the real cost of the implementation, meaning internal costs, staff resources? A lot of times they're focused only on the hard costs. There's a lot of other costs that need to be added up. And I think Manisha said that longer time is a factor. So again, scope, details, locations, entities, there's a multiplier, but then we go back to the human absorption. How much time can they allocate? And that's going to deliver some of that timeline and it is what it is, right? And time on a project is consultants times a rate and it's your staff's rate. So again, there's a lot of factors in formulating that. But uh, like I said, if somebody gives you the 15 day budget and says, go ask, did it work? I think you'll get an answer. Some people, it may work. 
It really depends on the business and their, their staff. So don't forget that the company's internal resources are going to define how big that budget needs to be. Yeah. So Andy is probably going to have a lot of comments uh, there about talking to the, the customers because you are probably going to get the references of the happy customers. In some cases, the implementation may have gone well and maybe in 15 days because the customer was super informed. They actually did all the work uh, upfront and that could be the reason why it would have gone in 15 days, but that is not the average. And that should not be the indicator for the success for any ERP implementation. Uh, you're absolutely right that the skill set of the team is going to be super critical. What skill set they have, how many ERP implementations they have done in the past to find out how knowledgeable the team is going to be, what is going to be their training time. And by the way, everybody's shovel is going to be different when they are trying to unload that truck. <laughs> So, Tom, and, and Sam, most real quick, most people haven't done an implementation. Yep. They come up to the company that's on the same ERP product for 20 years. They've never done one. So, again, assumptions about their readiness to do a project, like I said, that's another one of those cost centers. Yep, I completely agree. Okay, so, Tom, I am looking for the formula here. So, let's say you have vetted a lot of different vendors. You know who is being real. You know who is not being real. And you want to make sure that when you are going to commit to your executive team, your credibility is probably going to be on the spot, right? So you want to make sure that you are not committing for something that is going to be 5x. So what process do you typically use to verify the estimates from the vendors, from your team as well? And you want to have slightly more realistic estimate. I mean, plus minus 20% is, in my opinion, I think that's a win. <laughs> if you can pull that off. But yeah, 2x, 3x, 5x is definitely not a win. Agreed. So I, again, like others on the panel, I, I agree with what some of my, my fellow panelists are saying. A few things maybe I could add. Um, uh, one is that it is becoming a best practice, I suppose I could say at Varian, to actually do assessment projects yeah. prior to doing the full-blown project. Yeah. Um, and... Defining the scope of the assessment project itself can be a little tricky and challenging, but you can run a project and learn a lot about the products, uh, software, hardware um, that you're interested in implementing and get a better read on what is realistic. And so we, we have in many cases, you know, a month or two where we might fund a relatively inexpensive assessment project that is in large part to get to a decent definition of scope, get to a, a decent understanding of the, uh, the tools, software or hardware, whatever it is, and, um, and, and even to start to develop a, what we think is a timeline that might make sense. This would precede the RFP or the invitation to vendors. This would actually be an input, for example, to a, to a document that we could provide to vendors for them to compete and bid on the work. So that's something that, that we've begun to do as opposed to saying there's just an assessment phase to the project and it's just part of the whole big project and you kind of go in half blind. You know, you have a high level idea of what you want, but only in the assessment or the design phase are you actually going to understand what it is you really want and need. And then, you know, you're, 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 you're up to your neck in the program. You know, your budget's been set. You know, everything's been agreed. You've sold it internally. And it's twice as complex as you thought. Or the solutions don't have all the functionality off the shelf that you thought. Uh, or that you were told, and now you're learning that you're gonna to have to do a whole lot more custom work to make them dance the way you need them to. So I think that's that's a, a, a good thing if you can do it. And I, again, I, I concur with some of the statements that were made about project plans. I really require the partners, vendors, or my own team uh, to develop a pretty detailed project plan that will enable us week by week over the course of a program <clears throat> to really get a sense of, are we on track? The level of granularity, there's a point of diminishing returns, of course, um, but if you can get it to a fairly detailed level, you can start to actually uh, really understand 
week to week what's going to get done and or should get done and how realistic that is. You know, in many cases, you know, somebody says, well, we'll do we'll do uh, a, a testing phase in two months. You might say, well, that sounds pretty reasonable. But then if you say, well, there's 100 different business processes that we're going to be running through and we're going to be tackling, you know, 10 of those a day. Uh, and then that'll take us, you know, um, however long it takes, uh, 50, you know, we've got 100 processes. That just takes two weeks to run through them for the first time. And I'm going to do how many cycles and I'm going to you know, have, expect how much rework and how big a team do I have to marshal to actually do this and so on. And, and you start to say, gee, two months doesn't sound terribly realistic for the scope that we're talking about. But it's only when you start to drill down to a level of granularity where you're saying, what's going to happen day by day, week by week, that I can start to say that that doesn't make sense. I mean, it, it doesn't sound feasible. Um, and I, I think, you know, whether it's workshops in the design phase uh, or it's how many agile cycles you think you're going to be running through um, to develop the product, uh, you know, whatever your methodology is that you're you're using, I think you can come up with a plan that in enough level of granularity, you can you can make a pretty good assessment. And of course, you should talk to your, your colleagues uh, and you should make it a competitive process. I mean, those to me are a couple of the key things. Yeah, I completely agree. And I am probably going to steal Chris's line here. And he always talks about, you know, devils and details, right? So in this particular case, when you are exploring different software, they are changing on a daily basis. And even minor change could impact your project a lot. So in my experience, I think assessment is a great way of mitigating that risk, really understanding the capabilities so that you are not going to uncover an outlier such as that invoice that I was talking about in the beginning of the story that the project itself is not going to work. The whole ERP wasn't fit for your business processes and you end up choosing <laughs> the wrong one. So in my experience, I think the assessment is a great base to number one, reduce the risk that you are implementing the the right uh, product, as well as it is going to help you in understanding the capabilities of the product. And then you are going to be far more confident with your estimates. Uh, you might still not have 100% success rate, <laughs> but you know that's going to be slightly better than you know going blind. So thank you so much, Tom, for that. I'm going to move to Ashish. Ashish, uh, you know, what are your thoughts so, so far? What is your formula for success? Yeah, so I was I was stepping back a little bit. You know, when we get the estimates from our SI or vendors. Right. I'm thinking about what stage it is. It is if we had put an RFI or RFP and we get a response based on what they know about us, right? So I would like to know what do they know or how do how well do they know our business? Yeah. Right. Because everything starts up from there. If 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 they are using a cookie cutter, okay, we know we had done similar projects in the past. We're just taking that template and kind of modifying and do then then there will be a lot of assumptions made, right? That's why I mentioned how many hard and soft assumptions have they made in the estimate. So that means how much can I trust that estimate off the bat, right? Or, or how do I start breaking it down? So, so that I would start up from there, right? And then the the estimate that comes out, I think it will be the explore phase, which I think, uh, Tom, you started getting into. That's where basically where we start value, you know, evaluating how much of uh, these assumptions hold or don't hold, right? So so what kind of uh, adjustments will be done to the estimate after we come out of the explore phase where all the user stories have been flushed out, right? I mean, uh, and we have decided what is MVP and what is non-negotiable for the business. So, so that's our tenet of where we will move forward for the project plan estimation and all that. So that's where I, I mean, I, I will be very curious and uh, you know, uh, challenge the vendors as to where, uh, how much the estimates will vary. We yeah. understand that they have a cookie cutter, you know, estimation model uh, by resources and all. I think we are bought into that because we, we are selecting certain SI based on, we are okay with the cost structure, how they're gonna charge us, but how much our project will cost has to be, we will have a skin in the game too. We will play a big role because we will own it for the next yeah. 18 months or whatever, you know, next uh, three three years of a rollout, we'll have to own it. So. Uh, our year-to-year -year planning will, will be also dependent on that. So that's why I'm saying that preparation phase before the explore is very important to establish that relationship with the vendor also that, hey, we will hold you accountable, right? And and uh, we want to know what your scope and assumptions are, what is in scope, what is not in scope, and how much do they know about us, right? And, and also, 
the the I'm sure most of the vendors provide a RACI chart, right? Where we understand who is responsible, accountable, you know, consultant and and inform. Based on that, we will know what kind of talent we have to bring from on our, our end because they will put a lot of things like, hey, I'm not going to do data conversion. This is your lookout. Quality of data will be managed by you. So all those risks, uh, I mean, those these are all budget items. They will they will bring your budget up, right? And so deciding whether you know uh, what stays in the project, the budget item, or does it go on the portfolio, right? Because across the enterprise and all, have to have a very clear delineation and and understanding of that, and then bring the right stakeholders from other business units is what I have seen that uh, helps a lot. And constant communication, identifying your stakeholders. Keep keeping them in the loop. So they may be not directly involved with your ERP, but like, for example, there is an whole OIM, uh, you know, IM project going on in identity management, which impacts the entire organization, yeah. right? Uh, they're, or they're doing a mobile initiative, which will impact our project. So that cross project or cross program dependencies have to be completely flushed out and brought up so that they can be an item we can chase. And if, if anything happens in that, you know, we, we start, adjusting our budget and we don't the budget doesn't take the hit it could be a, at a portfolio level right so that constant swizzling is needed is what i i what i have seen in my experience and the more earlier you communicate it's better because this bad news does not get better right as it as it gets stale so so our weekly checkpoints uh, at the program level or the project level we bring up certain these items and the right stakeholder is informed Right and and brought uh, accountable to right. I mean and and then action taken likewise. Sorry, I went on a rant, but uh, that, that's where I was going with. No, that's actually very useful and helpful to be honest. Okay, so I am. I want to make sure that listeners are able to follow along your insights. So uh, if you could provide some examples of hard versus soft assumptions when it comes to any of the digital transformation projects or ERP projects, uh, and if you could also provide an example of the MVP versus non-negotiable requirements uh, yeah. so that they can follow along. Yeah, because those will align with your business uh, objectives, right? With, with your vision, mission that has been set for the entire program, right? That's where we will say, these are my MVPs. These are my non-negotiables. I cannot go back. If I have my older system already had these functionalities, I can, the newer system cannot take those away. I've been in situations where the new system was great, fancy, but it took away something which was already there, right? So that's the user experience is getting completely altered, right? We want to, we don't want to be in those situations. So when we look at the solution and we get into the details, like Andy was saying, we got to make sure those are checked and they are, that there is a milestone and a deliverable associated with it and who owns it and when they will deliver, right? So that, I think that's the most important phase in the, before we get into the explore and workshop, because the workshops and all are, you get so much hung up in those eight hours, five hours, six hours workshop. These things, details get off, right? Uh, the, the, the rail, I mean, it becomes a checkbox and all that. So before we enter that and before we sign the contract, I think it's very important to be on the same page with our vendors and their side. So then we are on the, we are speaking the same language. Okay, amazing insights. I want to move next to Andy. Andy, what is the formula that you have seen working in keeping the budget in check in your experience? Well, there is no formula. The thing about these budgets and and uh, and uh, plans is that that's all they are is an estimate, an idea. Uh, no one knows how long it's going to take to implement an ERP system or a digital transformation project at your individual company because every individual learns at a different rate. Every individual learns a different way. Some people learn by watching someone else do it other people learn by doing it themselves other people learn it by web classes everyone's unique everyone's different and no one knows how long it's going to take or what it's really truly really going to cost to implement at your specific site now you can get estimates or ideas by speaking to references now chris mentioned references the problem it is with references is that as we all know I mean, we've all applied for jobs before. Which ones do you put on your re uh, resume? The bad ones? I don't think so. You usually put the best ones. So guess what you're going to learn when you speak to those references? So what I do is I try to teach people how to uncover other references, how to be able to find other companies that are not on that little, that little selected list that you were given by the vendor and 
try to uncover the objective opinions. And the thing is that if you do speak to objective references, ask them how much they were bid versus how much it actually cost. And there's your formula. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for those insights, Andy. Uh, Tim, I want to move to you. What has been your experience in terms of formula for success for any of the digital uh, transformation projects? Yeah, so really, um, I think a lot of it goes into the focus of that uh, SI, the systems integrator that's involved. One of the dirty little secrets is that not every systems integrator can provide the same level of service on yeah. all different project sizes. So, um, you know, in the material handling world, you buy a warehouse, you know, e-commerce, you know, automated system with conveyor and so on. There are different players at the 500,000 to a million, million to 10 million. And, uh, you know, when you get into the 50, 100 million range, you've got a whole other set of players. And what what people don't realize is you're spending a million dollars. You're not going to get the A players. You know, uh, some of these some of the, the SIs out there, they don't want to touch a project if it's not 10 to 20 million dollars and you're going to get their B or C team. So I think that's something that people have to realize is that the price of the system, you know, what, where it's going to kind of ballpark come in at is going to determine the level of competency from the team that's being put on the project. So, you know, and I think that's what somebody needs to ask is, okay, how many projects of this size do you do a year? If they say this is the first time we've ever done one of these $20 million implementations, but we always do, you know, we're generally we're doing $5 million implementations then you know that these guys might be going outside their, their wheelhouse. And then you have to worry about cost overruns because they don't know what they don't know. But if you're running a $5 million project uh, and your vendor is, you know, that's what they do day in, day out. That's their bread and butter. They're going to be able to very accurately predict, yep, this is about what it's going to take, how long it's going to take. And you'll be a lot more successful and be able to stay on budget a lot, a lot tighter than um, if you don't ask those questions. So, yeah, that's my thoughts. Okay, amazing. Chris, uh, you had a comment. Yeah, just a, a couple of you guys said it. So as Tom mentioned, business processes. So part of the contract, and this is the advice to those people, is you're doing an ERP project, make sure you have the specific business processes in scope in the agreement. And then I would also say that you've got a budget that correlates to implementing those business processes for an entity location. So, But the, get the language in there that says that we don't have more than a 10% increase in budget for a non-change in scope, which means if we don't add business processes, cap to 10%. Put it in the contract. People will do that, and you perform to that. And I think that that's legit. And I use the example when we started where I had a customer that added 80% scope at the end of the analysis phase. Oh, my gosh. But they added new scope. Existing scope, budget didn't change. All new scope. New entity, new features, new features. So a lot of customization. So, again, the discipline on not doing customizations, that's going to help control budget. But at the end of the day, the advice is make sure contractually you have that level of detail in your contract. The scope correlates to the budget. And then you've got some cost containment where we can't run off the road if the scope doesn't change, which now you're holding them accountable, right, Andy, to their estimating technique. And if they're not good at it, you burn them a little bit. But again, it, it for, it, it's the efficiency as well. So delivery efficiency and methodology can cause a budget to blow up and you shouldn't be responsible for that if a vendor's inefficient. So, and I'm on the vendor side, so I put that into my agreement. So, so I am actually going to have a clarifying question there for you, Chris. Okay. So as we all know, when we talk about the ERP project, the scope could be all over the place. The scope is very hard to determine overall, just because, you know, there could be so many different details that you can play along, especially if you have the information parity is how I like to uh, define this. So for example, I am the software expert. I am, I can play with the scope and I can inform a, a, a customer that, you know what, this is in the scope, this is not in the scope. And later on, I can always say that, you know what, that's not what I meant. But it's not really clarified in the scope. So you are saying put a clause for 10%. Now, how does that clause work? Tell, tell me, because see, you are a, you know, bar and you are actually billing for all right. You That's are right. actually not going to eat up the cost if the project is going to go, let's say, two or three or five months over. So you are probably yeah, well. A, a change project. in a change in timeline is a change in scope, Sam. So again, you know, to what causes the timeline shift? Because oh, we need to move the go live. We're too busy. We need to get ready. And just by moving timeline three months, you're adding more PM. We yep. may not add any more cost for the implementation. Then again, if they want the consultants to continue to show up every week because they're slow learners, and then we go back to the capacities of the staff and not everybody learns as fast. But change in timeline is a change in scope. 
So there's a change order for a three-month delay. That adds more cost to it. Again, hey, we need that fixed assets module in phase one, even though it's external, change in scope. So, um, But the, 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 the level of detail on the business processes by application function, general ledger, there's certain processes. We know that as part of that pre-discovery process. Hey, you're a multi-entity? Well, we've got consolidations into that business process list. Great. We don't show up after the fact and say, oh, we didn't know you had three entities. We know that. And again, that's the challenge is looking at the contracts before you sign, right? And again, there's a due diligence there. So that's how we do it. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, guys. So that's it for today. Uh, we are only going to take the last minute closing advice from everybody. Uh, so I'm going to start with you, Chris, if you don't mind. What is your last minute closing advice? It's, it's easy to be hearing it. Hold your vendor accountable. Make sure you've got good scope and that you really read it. And you agree that that's what we need to go live with the project. Simple. Okay. Amazing. Thank you so much, Chris. Uh, Tom, what is your closing advice? I think it's around the level of granularity in your planning and the assessment up front, if possible. Yeah. Uh, you need to get clarity on what you're going to do, as Chris yeah. is saying, on the scope and uh, you know, an assessment of, of timeline as well. That will, that will help you tremendously. It's not perfect, but it will be tremendous help. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for that, Tom. Really appreciate it. Uh, okay, Ashish, what is your closing advice? I would say the vendors or the the, the SIs are your partners, right? Yeah. They are partners in, in crime. So establish that relationship and clarity right in the beginning. Trust but verify, like I said, when it comes to uh, to budgets, and uh, and and lean on them, right? They they bring a lot of industry knowledge. They bring outside industry experience, but then ultimately decision is made by us. So yeah. so that that that's where I would I would weigh in. Agree. Thank you so much, Ashish, for that. Andy, what is your closing advice? You know, we've mentioned a lot of different topics and a lot of a lot of different things to look out for between the five of us today. The one mentioned is your internal costs, and uh, it's easy enough ERP vendor or or digital transformation vendor or 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 custom development software vendor to say it's going to cost X, and then as long as it stays within scope, it's going to be fine. But what the customer sometimes forgets about is how much effort and how much imposition it's going to be on their their internal their internal employees. And if you don't put that effort in, if you don't take ownership, if you don't, you know, have the bandwidth available to be able to do your piece of the puzzle, that cost is going to go on forever and you're never going to be successful. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much Andy for that. Tim, what is your closing advice, please? I'm going to uh, echo Ashish's uh, message and Make sure you understand the depth of experience and capability of the vendor or the systems integrator that you bring in. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much uh, for that, Tim. Guys, thank you so much for joining today. Thanks, guys. Thanks, everybody. Bye, everybody. I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show, for sharing their knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests, and hopefully you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about Tim Harrison, head over to Warm Commerce. Dot com. It's W-A-R-M-C-O-M-M-E-R-C-E dot com. If you want to learn more about Chris Garadini, head over to turnkeytech.com. It's T-U-R-N-K-E-Y-T-E-C dot com. If you want to learn more about Andy Pradigal, head over to essoft.com. It's E-S-S-O-F-T dot com. If you want to learn more about Tom Rodden, head over to Varian dot com. It's V-A-R-I-A-N dot com. If you want to learn more about Ashish Perlekar, head over to Cbrands dot com. It's C-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, you might want to check other related episodes, including the interview with Rich Said, who describes his journey and pitfalls of implementing six ERP projects throughout his career. Also, the interview with Bonnie Tinder, who discusses the pros and cons of various digital transformation project models working directly with software providers or through a consulting firm. Also, don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments 
about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help. Thank you and I hope to catch you on the next episode of the WBS Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. For more information on growth strategies for SMBs using ERP and digital transformation, check out our community at wbs.rocks. We'll see you next time.